Welcome to Born to Live Well, a podcast about lifestyle with me, Rebecca Beninati. I am so glad to be sitting here today with my friend, Demona Hoffman. Um, Demona uh, is, I met Demona in my yoga classes um, in West Hollywood years ago, and I'm sure she'll know how long when we get to her in just a second. But I met Demona um, doing yoga, and um, Demona is one of those people who in my class just kind of radiates this very grounded energy. Um, That is one of the things that I love about being around her is that she has depth to her that you can kind of see and feel. And as soon as you start talking to her, you realize that there's a lot going on in her very peaceful looking um, body, grounded body, but a lot going on in her very creative, adventurous, and I don't know, mildly psychic mind. So, um, Demona, thank you for being here today. Thank you. And what a wonderful intro. You know, you always wonder, like, I I wonder how people perceive me. And I always think I'm like... uh, I have all this chaos happening in my head, like you said, but it's nice to know that I give off an air of being grounded. So yeah, thanks. For sure. <laughs> um, so Demona, how, when did we, when did you and I cross paths? I think, so Demona was just on my yoga retreat. I just led a yoga retreat this past weekend. And I think we did, I know I don't plan these things for this podcast, but we did actually this weekend rediscover that we met. I think it was 12 years ago. Your okay. daughter is 12. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. It was right after you came back from maternity leave. Wow. And um, I just knew when, as soon as I went to your class, I was like, oh, I like her vibe. And uh, I've spent so many of my important milestones in the studio with you. I don't know if you remember, I practiced with you the morning of my wedding. I remember. You gave me a beautiful bouquet, and it was just the perfect way to start the day. And wait, I can't start crying already. We just started. (laughs) But, you know, being my doula, when I had my daughter, there's just been so many moments and milestones in my life where uh, you've been there by my side. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, uh, yeah, as a yoga teacher, you're there by people's side. But, what I mean, it is not everybody that chooses to show up to take a public yoga class on the morning of your wedding. That was a conscious choice. You know, you could have been really obsessively worried about everything being on time or getting ready or detailed, but um, talk about why you even might have made that choice if you remember. I think that being a yogi, I think that made me want to have a calm wedding. Like, I, you know, you get into those shows when you're when you're getting married, you watch Bridezilla's. <laughs> when you're having a baby, you watch like the baby story. So I was I was deep into Bridezilla's and I said, I don't want that to be me. And I know how I feel when I practice yoga with you. And it's also a community. You know, it's a separate community. I don't hang out with everyone in the class all the all of the time. But being with that group makes me feel a certain way. And so that was part of how I wanted to start my day with that community of people around me and then with the breath and getting centered, knowing that the day was going to be chaotic. And if I had that good foundation laid, the rest of the day would play out as I wanted it. That's amazing. Yeah. I did burn my wedding dress accidentally. Oh. And I was like really chill about it. Wow. At the wedding. (laughs) 
Yeah, I had this tiny little wrinkle, and I, I'm a, I was a very frugal bride, and my wedding planner said, you need to have a steamer. You should have a steamer on site. And I said, nah, that's a waste of money. So, of course, I get there, and there's this tiny little crease, and I said, <laughs> I'm going to steam this out. And first, I asked one of my bridesmaids to do it, and all the bridesmaids were like, uh-uh. They backed away. <laughs> so I girls. said, well, I'll just do it myself. And, I, you know, that fabric, it's so, so delicate. And I swear, I was like an inch from it, and it was close enough. It just singed it. And I oh, went, no. the, talk about yoga. I went, okay, this is what has happened. And I'm not going to cancel my wedding for it. I can't get another <laughs> wedding dress. So I'll just go with it. But I was really lucky. I had these two panels of fabric that went down right over the hole, and then it bustled under. So it was kind of my little secret, but it was the reminder that I'm tough that I could get through it because it was under there the whole time. Oh, my goodness. Was it a distracting thought throughout the day at all? Were you worried that it might show up in a picture or anything like nope. that? No. Like the minute really it happened, it I just let it go because I knew there was nothing I could do to change it. Yeah. And I was really about what is the experience that I want to create for the people that chose to spend this day with me. So it wasn't I, – I didn't even look at the wedding as being about me. I looked at it as – how do I want the people here to feel when they leave? That's I so had to nice. kick them out at the end. I was like, well, then you must have done a y'all. really good job of making them feel really welcome. <laughs> oh, my God. I was, well, I was exhausted by no. the end of the day, you know, <laughs> after starting with yoga and having like a whole day of prep. I was ready to go to bed by then. So let's go back to the yoga room because uh, that morning I'm, I hope I didn't, but I probably did. Did I make you do your um, least favorite pose? Because uh, Demona and I have a funny little thing that anytime Demona tells me a pose that she's struggling with, I kind of just subconsciously fixate on that pose. And when I see her, we um, we really work that pose out a lot. And I don't think I made you do that hard pose, did I? Is it just me? Or you don't do that to other people? Oh, or other people don't volunteer you. what their least well, favorite Most people pose don't is. volunteer now that they've seen you and I in class together. <laughs> But I don't think you made me do it. I don't mm -hmm. remember, but I probably would have been mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad to, to know I was soft on you that day. Thank you. Um, so the other life event that I've been a part of with you is the birth of your daughter. Yeah. And how old is she today? She's eight. Eight years old. Game changer. Mm -hmm. Talk about a game changer. Yeah. Gosh, where do I begin? <laughs> um, you know, I... I had this idea of this birth that I wanted in my head. I didn't want to write a birth plan because I figured as soon as you put it down on paper, it's not going to happen. So I put it down on paper and I said, I don't want to be induced. <laughs> and of course, then I was induced and I didn't want Pitocin and I got Pitocin. So I was like, all right, I'm already off the birth plan. It's kind of like burning the wedding dress. Like <laughs> I'm off the birth plan now. Let's just go for it. Um, so we, you know, we tried for, uh, I won't say a natural labor cause I was like, I'm going to need that epidural <laughs> fast, but you know, I'm a little person. My grandmother had two C-sections oh, wow. with, um, my dad and my aunt. And so, you know, we ended up in a C-section, which is probably, probably where we would have ended up anyway. Uh, but there was definitely a process of, of accepting that. And it took a lot longer than the wedding dress. It took probably three years mm -hmm. after my daughter was born for me to accept that it was okay, that I had a C-section and that I didn't fail in yeah. getting the baby out the right way, mm. that I had a healthy baby and lived through childbirth. And that was, that was actually the goal. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, definitely that's, well, a whole lot bigger and more meaningful and important than the hole in the wedding dress. This is your, your body and mm -hmm. an expectation or a wish that you had for yourself. But what I just put together, two and two are coming together right now in my mind, listening to you say, as so many women and doctors ask and nurses ask and doulas ask, I ask my clients to write out a we are actually trying not to call it a birth plan anymore, but a birth preferences guideline, if you will, or a birth wish fantasy list, whatever. Birth However, vision. yeah, whatever you want to call it, we are, we still ask for that because it's actually just a little template to go off of. So we kind of know generally what you're going for um, and what your absolutes aren't, so we can guide you in that way. But what I'm putting together right now is that one of the other amazing things about Demona is first of all, she, I'm gonna go off track for just a second. She was uh, she, responsible for pushing me to do my very first yoga retreat. I was never going to do one. She coordinated it and uh, made it happen and I wouldn't have done it without you. Um, so, um, but in that first one, we didn't do this thing I'm about to talk about, but in all my yoga retreats since, we do vision boards and you are quite not only fond of vision boards, but the vision boards have really manifested um, meaningful and important things that you wanted that you put on your vision board. So I'm just thinking about the relationship between writing a birth plan, right? Writing something down, putting it on a board, putting it out there in a form that's not just in your mind, and how important it is for people to realize that we actually can manifest these things that we put out there. Well, when I do a vision board, I really focus on feeling. Like a moment ago, I said the wedding was about how do I want people to feel when I'm when they're at my wedding, and when I do the vision board, it's not just these are the this is it's not checklist. It's not these right. are the steps I have to, the milestones I have to hit, the steps I'd like to achieve. It's how do I want to feel, and I do. I try to do sections on, on my board. I used to do one board for work and one board for family life. And then I was like, why do I have so many problems with work-life balance? Mm. And I said, oh, I think I need to integrate my board. So I'll have a corner that's how I feel at home, how I feel with my family. Then I'll have another work section. But I really focus on on the sensation of of that uh, over just a, a one-line mm -hmm. goal to right. be achieved. So it's like uh, this weekend the word joy kept coming up. So it's like creating a vision board that has a feeling of how you want to feel living your life in the ways that you want it to be. So I'm just, I'm, what is your thought on if we stopped asking for a birth plan preferences sh reference sheet and we just maybe had women turn in a piece of paper that said, I am open to this birth, however it goes, and I trust my body and accept the birth of my child. Don't you think that would be powerful? It would be powerful. Maybe not that instructive for the doctors, but... <laughs> True. Well, the rest of the stuff is just kind of like you know, vitamin K shot, eye ointment, those kinds of things, which, you know, can be separate. But to turn into the nurses, it could kind of maybe change the whole vibe. You're just give, sitting here with you is making me think about a different way to, to do that. Hey, I'm glad I could inspire you. <laughs> we inspire each other. And um, so, you know, 
I want to, um, I would like you to tell everybody what you um, are doing these days because you started in television doing something that I don't really know the specifics of, but you were in television. And I know that you made another lifestyle change to leave doing television to do something more creative, something that was more about your soul, um, something that inspires people. Um, like myself, and like <laughs> you just did, and and so many other people with what you're doing now. So how and did you I make... ended up back in television? Yeah. So um, it's the circle of life, the circle of television. I moved to Los Angeles to be a casting director. I'd studied theater um, and communications in college, and I said, but I don't think I want the lifestyle of an actor. That didn't appeal to me. But I knew I liked show business, and I liked working with actors and um, helping people achieve their dreams. But as soon as I got into casting, and I was very lucky at the beginning, I moved right into the network system. So I was an assistant at CBS. And I was also there at a time when the question of diversity first came up. Mm. And one of the reasons I had not pursued a career as an actor was because there was no one on television who looked like me. And they would always say, well, who do you model yourself after? Or who's your prototype? What's your, what's your like, sales pitch for, for yourself as an actor? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm black and Jewish and short. And I, I just I don't look like the mold. My hair's curly, very curly. And um, I really struggled with that. But I thought, well, maybe I can do something to create opportunities for people who look like me. And so it was really a blessing that I was at the right place at the right time. And my boss came to me and said, how would you like to help me with starting this initiative for diversity? And it wow. was great because it got me off the assistant desk and it got me working with diverse actors and seeking out talent, new talent to present to the network that was previously really hidden to them. And it got me into the conversation. Um, but there was nowhere really for me to grow at CBS. And so they, um, after two years, I decided to move on and ended up at Paramount, also in casting, and got pulled then back into the diversity conversation when NBC started their talent diversity program. And I said to the head of casting there, well, casting is, is all well and good, but I'd like to do something that really changes the framework of how we make content. So when I, when I started at NBC, I was really given a blank slate and a very, very small budget. But the, <laughs> the idea and the heart was there. And my boss said, you go about it however you want to do it. Yeah. You can create, we just want to create programs and create opportunities. So I started a search for stand-up comedians uh, called Stand Up for Diversity. Now it's just called Stand Up NBC. That's still going and has found oh, yeah. dozens and dozens of of comedians that have created their own shows, that have starred their own shows, have have headlined films. And so it's really it's really been very um, fulfilling to see how that program has continued to grow since I left. We had directors programs, writers programs, uh, showcases for actors, but it got to a point where I wanted to do more. And I wanted to not just find the talent, but I wanted to be in a position where I could hire people that I thought should be making television. So NBC was really good to me in transitioning me over to um, Sci-Fi Channel, where I was uh, director and then ultimately vice president 
of programming. Wow. See, you learn something by sitting down with people. I had no idea. I know. And all that time, I was like practicing uh, in your class, and that's what I was doing. But uh, something happened when I was at Sci-Fi, and I had a baby. (laughs) Yes, you did. You know, I was always on this track. I was very type A, like I'm going to... I'm going to be vice president before I'm 30. I was 31. Uh, Close. (laughs) But I got there, and once I had my daughter, it really refocused things. And I said, this this job doesn't feel the same as it did before. And I had to be really measured about the amount of time that I could give to my work while still also being present for my daughter. And I got through my first year breastfeeding, pumping in my office, traveling for work, bringing my daughter with me, flying my mom in to meet me so that I had someone on set with me to take care of my daughter. And I just said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this. Like talk about born to live well. I just felt like I'm not living well. I'm not, this is not a lifestyle that's making me feel, uh, feel happy anymore. So I left without much of a plan. Wow. And how long did you sit with that just only doing motherhood well you know me not very long (laughs) I thought so I had a feeling so way back when I was a casting director I had discovered a knack for online dating I I had a system because I used to teach classes for actors and marketing themselves and having headshots that really stood out and told their story and when applied to online dating it was basically the same thing so Mm -hmm. I met my husband online 15 years ago now, and people came to me after that point for help writing their profiles. So the whole time I was doing all of this work in diversity and programming, I was also helping people write dating profiles on the side. Wow. Wow. So I just said, well, maybe I'll just like work on my blog. I had a dating advice blog and write some profiles and see what happens. And very soon after, because I had worked behind the scenes in television for so long, it became a really natural transition to do this work and give advice and help people in front of the camera. So that's what I've been doing for about the last six years in coaching and giving advice on television. Wow. I Jeez, you have really created such a beautiful little... Um, concentrated market for yourself. I mean, and you've taken everything, all kinds of your experience and made it um, into a big passionate hobby slash job where you get to probably show up to do your work and really love what you do. I do. And if I had put it down on a list, there's (laughs) no way it would have taken me here. But I did a lot of the vision boards and created the lifestyle that I wanted to have through the feeling that, that it gave me. Yeah, what was the the one vision board that you made on a retreat with me that really, because I remember you made one on one retreat specifically that you were like, oh my God, everything on that vision board is happening. I, ha- I can't miss another one of your retreats and vision board uh, quests. I had finished, yes, I, I remember vividly. <laughs> I had finished a series for FYI called Hashtag Black Love. It was a great show kind of doing similar things that I was doing in casting, but helping five successful single women in New York City find love. I had a vision board, by the way, a year before that, that I had actually put New York on the vision board. And now I'm like, 
I don't know what I was thinking. I, I had this vision of, I'm going to fly to New York. I will leave my children. I'm going to fly to New York and film a TV show. And then I'll fly back and I'll be mom. And I did that every week. Wow. I would fly out and film and then come back. And the series, it was just such a big turning point for me because it was the first series that I was really the host of. And people really loved the show and it really gave black women a voice in television that they felt like they didn't have, like they didn't have to be ratchet, like pulling each other's hair out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but they canceled the series. And so the time that I went to the retreat was a, a lull and I thought, oh, I thought I was going to be on the show for a while and I had kind of changed my business model to support this new path and then I didn't have a show anymore. And I just got this hit, like this, this vision, there's going to be another show. And I just said, I'll just put it out there. And I was even having been behind the camera for so long, mm -hmm. I was even a little embarrassed to be like, I want to host a show because that felt sort of weird and that's sort of silly. Like I'd done so much more right. important things in television. Like now you want to host a show, <laughs> but that was what was in my heart, and that's what you helped me really get in touch with. So I put it on the board, and Rebecca, within three weeks, I got a call. FYI said, even though we canceled Black Love, we really love you. We want you to get back on a plane to New York and film another TV series. Oh, my gosh. I have chills everywhere. <laughs> wow. Wow. Some of it is just being able to really speak what's in your heart and put it out into the world, because I was really like, yeah, I want to host, but I was kind of... Timid, and, didn't and want embarrassed to really. about it. But uh, after that point, I just said, this is, this is who I am. This is how I help people. And I have to be able to speak that. I have to be able to put that out in the world to get back what I need. I think when you have a burning desire to help people, there's no way you can't. Like, you just can't. And I think all people who end up being of service to people end up making it their life mission to the point of not even really caring in some ways if you get paid for it because you just want to help people, whether it's writing a dating profile or helping at a birth or helping them with back pain or whatever it is, you just want to be of service. And you are so, you are that. You can tell you really want to help people find a different voice, a better voice, um, and a place inside themselves where they're living a lifestyle that's really good and honest. Uh, yeah, and there's also a part in there that I think is important for other women to hear about owning your worth because I am a person in the helping profession, so it was really hard for me to ask people to pay me for my services. That mm -hmm. was a big hurdle for me to get over and say, yes, I'm doing a service here. I'm helping, but I am doing a service yes. and I need to be compensated for that time. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of women who still really struggle with that. It is hard. It's hard to ask for money. It's hard to ask for what you're worth. And it's hard to even decide what you think you're worth. Hmm. Really hard to decide what you think you're worth. You're worth what the market will pay. Well, <laughs> well, there's that. But first you have to deal with the part of you that can even figure out that. And, and, and also that you have enough to offer um, and not squash any part of that existence, that burning desire to serve, uh, not squash it down. So you feel like, wow, I, I have so much to offer just because I have passion. Just the amount of passion somebody has for their work is worth so much. Absolutely. Right? Getting up in the morning and showing up with a smile, showing up enthusiastic, showing up wanting to do a good job is worth a lot. 
Yeah, and I, I wish compensation was always tied to that. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's not always. So um, so yesterday I was on your podcast, and this is so fun. We're just like popping back and forth between mics. Um, yeah, <laughs> so you inspired me to start this podcast because I've been watching you build yours and thought, you know, she's having so much fun. She loves it, and you can tell how much you love it, and um you know, you're doing it in many different ways than I am. Um, I'm just doing it for to sort of clear a part of my creativity. Um, and you know, there's not money in podcasting, so none of neither of us are really doing it for that. We're doing it because we want to get some message out there and support people. Um, right. But I did your podcast yesterday, which was so much fun. Tell us about your podcast, Dates and Mates, and um, what the intention is behind it and how it's going. Dates and Mates has the tagline modern love made simple so the goal of the show is to help people navigate all of the new technology new rules for communication and this new paradigm gender dynamics we're, we're in a changing time of relationships and so i aim to be at the forefront of what's happening we do headlines of the week and it could be anything from a celebrity story and how that impacts you, not like talking about celebrities to, you know, drag their relationship right. history through the mud, but how does, the, what can we learn from that? Mm -hmm. And dating statistics, new apps, new technology that's out there that helps you connect and communicate. And then uh, I have everyone on from, from uh, authors and experts to reality TV stars to yoga teachers. Yeah. Yesterday we talked about how doing yoga can impact your love life. And the show is really, I say it's like 75% dates, but 25% mates uh, based on my listening audience. So there's always something in there, whether you're in a relationship or single that you can relate to and say, oh, that's something that I can apply to myself, either for self-love or to my partnership that I have or a partnership that I'd like to bring in in the future. Nice. Dates and mates. Yeah, dates and mates with Jamona Hoffman. <laughs> um, so are you the type of person that walks around kind of in your mind in some way thinking, everybody has a soulmate. Everybody, there's somebody for everybody. Everybody is destined to have love and relationship. And Well, I hate to break it to you, okay. Rebecca, but... Yeah. Um, I don't believe in soulmates. Okay. Wow. And a lot of people I find, especially, I, I don't really classify myself as like a new age or touchy-feely <laughs> dating coach. <laughs> I'm very logical, strategic, and even though I have a lot of these um, more mindful practices in my personal life, when it comes to love, uh, I'm teaching people how to how to uh, how to move through this new world and how to mm. how to be strategic in a way that doesn't eat up their soul. So I look at it as um, having the possibility of I, I think you have the possibility of multiple matches. If you are fixated on finding a soulmate and you mm. think there's only one person who you're your soul doomed. is destined to find, yeah, you're 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 always going to be disappointed or you'll always be looking over your shoulder saying did I find the right one? Wait, is it him? Or like, what if there's another one out there? And then when issues come up in your relationship, you're more likely to want to abandon it and walk away rather than diving in deeper and, and working through it with the partner that's right in front of you. Amazing. 
I know it's not what some people want to hear. Well, I, I saw the statistics, speaking of stats, like yes. and made stats, yeah. that 70% of women believe in soulmates. And to, to be honest, that really devastated me because I was like, that's 70% 70, 70 of women that I think aren't satisfied with what's right in front of them. We're open enough to see that there's beautiful possibilities in, in so many different people that you might not... Uh, that that don't fit your ideal category exactly. that you have to kind of open yourself up to see wow this is a part of me that I can explore in myself to open up to somebody that's a little different than maybe I thought I would be with exactly and you you said it exactly right it's also about just opening up overall opening up what your expectations are for a mate for a date so many times with first dates people come in with with this idea of what a perfect first date is and these benchmarks that this person has to hit, these hurdles they have to jump over, it's like a test, where it, when you can get really focused on the person sitting in front of you, the moment that you're in, and not get ahead of that and not bring all this expectation baggage that you're dragging into the first date or second date or third date, if you can just be and see if you're connecting with that person, I think we'd have a lot stronger partnerships. Yeah. What do you tell people who have been dating and dating and dating and dating in an effort to find somebody that they really deeply resonate with um, to, to make a further commitment to the relationship? What do you do with people? What do you suggest to them when they're frustrated and maybe like ready to give up and, you know, become a lesbian or or whatever you know like or or move away i totally to support it if you want to i mean all of it become a lesbian that's oh, fine totally i'm also very open like love comes in different forms sometimes you don't yeah. know what you're what to expect do but, you ever suggest that they try a different uh sexual orientation do you say like well you know have you thought about maybe that you're attracted to men have you thought about being open enough to love that you might find it in the same sex it's so funny that you would say that. Um, I haven't, but now that you say it, maybe I will. <laughs> but I, I did have this conversation over email with, with someone on my mailing list. She, uh, she thought that um, ethnicity was basically the same as sexual preference. And I thought, in my mind, I'm like, no, that's not the same at all. Because I was trying to say, if you are more open to dating someone that doesn't come in the package that you're looking for. So many times people will come to me just with a very narrow view of the physicality. They have to be, he has to be 6'2". He has to make oh, this geez. much money. He oh, has geez. to have this color hair. Mm. And so my job as a dating coach is to get you to really examine those elements, take a step back and say, well, what do I really need? And sometimes it is a different package sometimes that person you just haven't it hasn't occurred to you to date an Asian man but maybe you meet someone who's fantastic and if you get out of your head with the idea that he has to be a 6'2 Caucasian man with brown hair <laughs> again there's someone right in front of you that you might be overlooking so what I do when someone's in that that point of frustration is I get strategic. So we take a step back and we say, how have you been doing this mm. up to this point? Have you been swiping on Tinder ad nauseum and you're, you're frustrated and overwhelmed by it? Mm -hmm. Have you 
been thinking that you're doing something because you're on dating apps, but you actually haven't checked your dating apps or gone on any dates. Right. You have to be proactive, I yeah. imagine. Have you completely sworn off dating apps and said, I, I just want to meet him naturally, but you don't do anything but go to work and come home? Right. We talked about that a little bit yesterday on your podcast, yeah. making time. Carve out like that space. Actually making time. Wow. There's so much to dating, to really consciously dating, right? Like consciously dating. You have to be really clear. Um, I got married for the first time when I was, the first time, yes, I said the first time because I've been married twice, but the first time when I was 21. And boy, things have really changed. And just seeing what's available as far as dating and apps and all of it and, and the whole, we kind of got into this, or I heard you yesterday on your podcast talking about not having a sex, what did you call it? A, a te- not sex, text, a textation. I see where your mind is a at, A textation <laughs> um, Because that is something that's like, that's changed dating for sure. Everything I am sure. has changed. I mean, just think about the way that you live your life now. You... You you don't look at a map because you have directions on your phone. I hate going to the grocery store. I love to have my groceries delivered yes. to my door. There's so many tools that make your life easier. And yet in dating, everybody is in this like state of arrested development where they're like, well, but that's not how it was in the old days. And so this is what chivalry means. And a man still needs to come up and approach me. Mm. And I'm like, just let's just take a step back and see how much we have adapted and then say what needs to adapt in the dating process what other tools do we have that make makes dating so much easier today and instead of trying to turn back the clock and get back to how things used to be yeah. how can we live in the place that we are and make it still feel make it still feel organic like the i think the big crisis of dating and relationships right now is in communication mm. and how we talk to one another, how yes. we connect. And how we listen. Yes. How we talk and how we listen. True. Um, a huge part of your job must also be, or your passion, your dating passion, your mating and dating, um, coaching passion, has to do probably a lot with some of your intuition. You can probably really tell, because I know for me, I do not claim to be psychic, but I do know that I get very strong, as you said earlier, hits about certain things that at this day and age where I'm at in my career and in myself, um, if I get a strong hit about something, I no longer just like keep it to myself. If I think it might be useful, helpful, and even if it's not, even if it's like not meaningful to the other person, I've been um, saying more of what those hits are for me. And I know that you and I have that in common. Um, and when you work with people intimately about childbirth, uh, their mm-hmm. body, mm-hmm. and dating, another really intimate thing, I think it takes a vulnerable, a vulnerable person to come to you and say, I need help dating. You know, because that, that piece right there where somebody says, like, I'm not meeting someone, or I... Um, I am single for this long. That's a vulnerable place for them to come to you and say, help me. I'm not dating anybody. I'm single. That's, I don't know. I think it's important to say to anyone that feels that way, that there's nothing wrong with you. Just because you haven't met your match, it doesn't mean that you're broken. I mean, therapy can benefit everyone. But it just means that you haven't either built the skill set, you haven't, put your life path in the direction of meeting a mate. You haven't made it a primary focus. Mm. And 
yeah, it does take a lot of courage to for anything to raise your hand and say, I could use some help with this, but what I really want to impress is that dating is actually a learned skill. I think we're we're shown in the movies and the rom-coms and the Disney movies. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, this is something that we should inherently know how to do. And no if way. you're not dating now, or maybe if you've been married and you're divorced and you're coming at it all again, the rules have changed. The game has changed. And I, I think when a smart move is to get help when you don't know how to do something. Even you look at like tennis pros and sports pros, like they're they have coaches. There. Yeah. Well, they, and they're on date there. Some of them are on dating apps. Oh, they're on dating apps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a big story yeah, a few recently. years ago during the Olympics on, on Tinder. Right. Um, yeah. So, but I was going to say they get coaches. <laughs> yes. Like nobody, LeBron is not just LeBron. Right. Like he's had coaches along the way and he's at the top of his game. And so you could even be dating, but you're just not meeting that person. And there's no shame in one, being single, or two, asking for support if you haven't connected with that right person yet. Oh my God, I love that. Everybody needs support for everything mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, I needed your support. <laughs> oh my goodness. So many things. Well, yeah, you hit on something that I'll just go back and remind the listeners that, um, what you said about being married for a long period of time and then suddenly finding yourself in a place of needing or wanting to date again. I was definitely in that place five years ago and I did use a dating app and that's how I found my boyfriend. It's on episode number two. Uh, I did swipe right on Tinder and um, five years later I'm sitting here happy and that was a very vulnerable moment for me to put myself out there. And the scariest thing about that was I kept seeing people, it shows you who you have in common, friends you have in common. And I kept seeing a lot of people that maybe didn't know I was getting divorced on there as friends in common. And it just tripped me out. But I just pushed past that and kept doing it and couldn't be happier. (laughs) Well, I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. That's the short version of that's a short version. Listen to episode two. I listened to it. It's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I think it's this the single shame I was talking about, like getting over that, that hump. And you're, you were in a different place because you're in the process of divorcing, but being able to, to be public in your singlehood is a, is a big thing. It's like when I said earlier, I created that vision board and said, yes, I want to host TV shows and I'm not going to be ashamed about that. And maybe I was doing something more quote important before, but if this is what I want, I'm just going to stand up and, and speak it aloud. And that's a big thing that I work on with, with my single clients, letting it be okay to be single and letting it be okay to ask your friends for setups or to be on a dating app. And yeah. the stigma has really gone down since, remember, I was on dating apps. I met my husband 15 years ago, which means I was on dating apps like 2001. Wow. And at that time, it was really seen as something for nerds and weirdos and people who lived in their mother's basement. And (laughs) I was none of those things. I was going out all the time. I was meeting guys. But my boss at the time said, I don't like the kind of guys that you're meeting. And so I decided at that point I was going to date strategically and find a different kind of guy. And for a couple years, it was my little secret that there were all these great guys online and I had the direct line to them and I wasn't finding them out in the bars or clubs or wherever I was going when I was yeah. that age. And now the, the benefit of everyone knowing about dating apps is that 
the market has exploded. There's so many options online. The challenge then becomes how do you sort through that? And that all begins with getting clear on what you're looking for, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, the vision, the, the vision, vision board. Mm -hmm. Demona, how can people reach out to you if they want some support? Um, they can listen to dates and mates, first of all. Yes. And I really made it my mission this year to give as much free content and advice that was accessible to people Great. as I could. That's so wonderful. So dates and mates you can get on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Excellent. Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. Um, we're on Spotify now. Yes. And um, I, I do segments on various shows. I've been uh, on Access Hollywood Live, and you'll be able to see me there again. I do HLN News. And then I have a website, DemonaHoffman.com, or you can go to DatesAndMates.com where you can listen to prior episodes. Maybe you're not a podcast person. No, you're listening to this podcast. You're, you're a podcast person. You better be a podcast uh, person. But maybe your mom is not a podcast person, yeah, and she needs data. I get so many people that want to set up their mom or set up their son. So uh, <laughs> DemonaHoffman.com has a lot of resources there. And I also have a couple of free e-courses that you can take. If you're in a relationship, I have the Relationship Boot Camp. And that's seven days of exercises to help you bond with your partner. Oh, my gosh. I want that. You can get it. Yeah, I I'll want that. I'll give it to you. Um, and then we have, you'll really like this one. Speaking of textationships, I have the texting 10 commandments. Oh, gosh. And I need that, too. that's the new rules okay, for communication. Wow. <laughs> Demona, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come sit with me. It is so nice to spend time with you. We've been so uh, lucky this uh, last week, we've gotten so many days together, and it's just been so much fun. And I look forward to seeing you more on your mat and doing more retreats and maybe more podcasting together. Um, I know you have some new things that you're working on, and uh, we'll have to have you back again for another episode to talk about your future endeavors. So thank you so much for listening. Um, this is a podcast about lifestyle with Rebecca Beninati. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.